0: As you're turning over to Matthew chapter six, we're going to be picking up in verse 19. How many of you ever played pirates as a kid? You guys ever play pirates? Some of you did. All right. Some of you were too cool to be able to pretend that you ever did the piratey voice, right? Arr, give me mates. What was it that pirates were always searching for? Buried treasure right how many of you guys ever did the thing where you made the the tea stained map that you burned the edges of the corners of you guys uh, my kids have uh, sarah is in eighth grade and never once has she had a history assignment that involved her soaking a piece of paper in tea and then lighting the edges on the corner like i did that every year in school i don't you guys know what i'm talking about to make the buried treasure map you know or whatever Well, see, pirates are always looking for their buried treasure. They're looking for the X that marks the spot to see where they left the treasure chest, right? That's the last. I'm going to do the pirate voice, okay? So you don't have to keep up. How about if I preach the whole sermon in the piratey voice, Say, Sing a shanty on the way. You know, as we're looking at this, whether you ever played pirates or not, here's what we're going to find. That actually is a beautiful picture for us of what jesus is telling us in the sermon on the mount now some of you are sitting here saying i have no idea how you're going to connect these two well jesus is talking this morning in the passage that we're picking up on on the idea of our treasure that you and i are storing up for our hearts and what he's telling us in this passage is you and i are storing up one of two kinds of treasure in one or one of two kinds of places so as we're looking through God's Word this morning, what we're going to be seeing is Jesus giving us an, a treasure map, if you will, and we'll be looking to see where the X marks the spot in your own heart as you think about the treasure for which you're living. Now, as we've been going through the study on the Sermon on the Mount, we're several months into it now. We're here in chapter 6. We know this is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we're making our way through chapter 6. We'll be starting chapter 7 pretty soon, and I hope to finish it before. Christmas. I know some of you guys are like, oh my word, we've been in this since like January. We actually have been. Uh, We took a little bit of a break in the summer. But what we've been seeing over this is that the Sermon on the Mount is a time when Jesus sat down with his disciples and gathered some crowns around them. And he outlined for them the expectations of what those of us who call Jesus our Lord, who are a part of his kingdom, Those of us who are part of his kingdom, how we are to behave, the attitudes that are supposed to characterize us, and as we've seen over and over again, it all comes down to the motivation of our heart. Has our heart been genuinely transformed by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, where we've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life, and now recognize him as the Lord, the leader, the boss over everything? Matthew chapter 5, we saw the Beatitudes, where he gave us a bunch of attitudes that would characterize us if we have that relationship with him. Then we saw later on in chapter 5, where he said, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you that if you're truly a part of the kingdom, you're going to go above and beyond just the external trappings of religion. Instead, it's got to be something that flows out of a heart that's been transformed by the grace that God gives us as a gift. Then we saw in chapter 6 that he's been giving us examples of ways in which uh, we are tempted to practice our religion outwardly so that other people would see how good we are, how godly we are. In Jesus' day, that was done through giving to the poor and making sure everybody knew how cool you were when you gave. It was done by praying real loud and, and using lots of words so that everybody knew how spiritual you were. And it was done by making sure everybody knew how you were fasting. And through giving those examples, Jesus has told us that it's not supposed to be that way for those of us who are part of the kingdom. What we do, we do because our Father sees in secret and He will reward us. That idea has come up time and time again. So now Jesus is going to pick up on that idea of reward and talk to us about the way that we live our lives and the rewards that we're seeking after. We're going to use this then, like I said, as a way for you to kind of trace the treasure map of your, your heart back to the X to see what kind of treasure you're burying and where you're putting it up. Okay? Okay? As we do this, what we're going to do is we're going to ask three separate questions that we're going to draw from the text this morning that will help you to identify what kind of treasure you're living for and how you're following and whether or not you're following Christ and if it's a treasure that will last, okay? So read these verses with me as we're we're going through. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, would you pray with me as we continue on? Father, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the world around us and what's going on. So would you, through your Spirit this morning, speak clearly to our hearts, help us to see the nature of the treasure we're we're living for. God, would you help us to live for your glory, for treasure that remains, instead of the treasure that—that that so often characterizes the way we live. Speak to us now, guide us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So as you've got it, if you have your Bible, if it looks like mine, mine's broken into three different paragraphs. And so we're going to draw one question basically out of each of those different paragraphs that helps us to understand where we're burying our treasure, okay? The first question is, am I living for passing success or permanent glory? Am I living for passing success or permanent glory? Go back to verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Then he goes on in verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in verses 19 and 20, he gives us two different locations where we can be storing treasure. It's either in heaven or it's on earth. He commands us clearly not to store up treasure on earth, but to store treasure in heaven. Now, this again ties back to what we have already seen in chapter 6. If you remember, he keeps saying, your father who sees in secret will reward you. He also talks about the idea that those who did these things so that other people would see how spiritual they are, they have all of their reward in full. So Jesus has already introduced this idea of reward, and like a masterful teacher, he's transitioning right into a new section as he's bringing this out. Um, by the way, Jesus is talking about the fact that those who are giving or praying or fasting in ways that make sure everyone knows how good they are, the notoriety is all the reward they get. They're seeking after success, notoriety, or material things in life. That's what it looks like for us to store up treasures on earth. Now, pause real quick. Before we dive any deeper into this idea, keep in mind what Jesus said they were doing to store up treasures on earth. It was praying, fasting, fasting. And giving to the poor. Well, Sean, aren't those really good things? Like, aren't aren't those things that we're supposed to do? Absolutely. Those, as we've seen, are things that God calls us to do. But we see that it's not just about what we do, but it gets back to that heart motivation. They were on the outside doing good things, things that I would tell you you should do, things that I want you to do, things that God commands us to do. Those were good things, but their heart's desire had not been transformed by the grace of God, and what they were doing was trying to do it so that other people would see how good they were and give them a pat on the back. That's really important for us because I think sometimes we think, well, as long as I'm doing the things that the church has told me to do, as long as I'm reading my Bible, I'm good to go, right? And I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. We can do what we're supposed to do, but if our heart isn't right, then it's not storing a, a treasure for us in heaven because we may as well. And I'm not telling you, well, shoot, then I ought to just go out and do whatever I want to. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to get your heart right and allow your motivations to reflect that you're trying to honor Jesus as Lord. By the way, You'll never get to the point where you're fully there. We're always going to struggle with the issues of motivation. So, and it's better in our world has gotten so sensitive to hypocrisy that sometimes we're like, well, I don't feel like doing it, so it would be wrong for me to do it because I'd be a hypocrite. No, do the right thing even if you don't feel like doing it. Okay? It's always the right thing to do the right thing. Make sense? All right, so Jesus is saying that those who are doing even good things for the wrong reasons are storing up treasure in the wrong place. The hypocrites were obeying God because of what they thought they could get out of it. For some, it may have been that they were trying to be respected, they were trying to be loved, they were trying to gain some status in the community, or possibly even feared by other people. But those were often linked also to the idea that if you did the right thing, you would get material gain as well. See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had this idea that if you followed God well, He would reward you with riches. So if you weren't doing well, then that meant that you... Like, if you weren't doing well financially, then obviously there was sin in your life because if you were doing the right thing, God would bless you materially, you'd have everything you wanted, you'd be doing good. Guys, that is not a biblical concept, okay? I cannot tell you clearly enough, following Jesus does not guarantee material success ever, ever, ever. Now, it is true that when you are following Jesus, you will be using and stewarding God's resources differently than you were when you were spending them on yourself. So sometimes you see people when they come to know Jesus that their their status gets better because they're using their resources more wisely for God's kingdom. And there are times when God's gracious and gives financially to us. However, I want you to go with me to Zimbabwe, to some of my friends' houses. I knew I was going to do this. I want you to go with me and meet Mandega. Mandega Makhlonga is a young man who had a beautiful homestead up on top of a ridge that overlooked the most gorgeous valley you could have imagined in that region. Mandega came to know Jesus as Lord. He's following Jesus, he's growing in Jesus, and he's seeing God work in great ways. You know what happened in Mandega's life? He lived too close to the border of Mozambique for the government to be comfortable when there was a civil war in Mozambique. So one day, two days before Christmas, in the middle of the rainy season, with his wife pregnant with twins in a high-risk pregnancy in the middle of nowhere with dirt roads, the government came in and gave them two days to move everything he had from the homestead on top of the mountain over into a cramped homestead in the middle of the rest of the village so that they could have a two-kilometer buffer zone on either side of the border. That happened after Mandega was honoring Jesus. That he had his wife who was dangerously pregnant. And he has to pack up everything he moves and restart everything in this new homestead. He's still building places on it. It's still not nearly the view that he had. It's still not beautiful and wonderful like it once was, although he's doing a great job with it. So go look at Mondega and say, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have all the money you ever wanted just doesn't fly. But the Pharisees had that idea. The hypocrites, the religious leaders in that day thought, if I'm following God, then that means I'm going to have all the material success that I want. Let's, let's run that dog for a minute. All let right, right, let's, let's track this for a second. Here's what happens. What happens if God gave you everything you wanted materially? Think about when you bought that brand new car. Some of you have done that. How long did it take before... Like in one instance I know, an errant cart in the Walmart parking lot put a ding in the side of it. How long until you started noticing some rust around the edge or the headliner sagging a little bit? That house that you always wanted? How long until you started finding those problems in the basement? Tell me one thing that you've ever gotten in life that wasn't like the decoder ring on the back of the cereal box. Right? You guys remember you saved up like 16 proofs of purchase and sent it off and six or eight weeks later you get the, the, the ring back and you try to work it and all of a sudden the thing falls apart and it never works like it's supposed to and you're disappointed because you waited so long and worked so hard. Tell me what in life materially has not been that. Every single thing you get in this life will rust, will fade, will get stolen, it'll get broken. So why do we live for that? Why do we live for things that are going to go away? Why do we live for for so much of our lives to try to keep up with the Joneses, to try to do whatever, to keep getting these things? Well, Sean, I'm not a materialist. I I don't live like that. It's not just about material things. Some of us are living so that everybody will know how good we are. We get embarrassed when our kids do something because we want them to think everybody to know that we're better parents than that. Let me ask you, let, let's think about some some passing successes. I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hand cuz some of you guys are sports buffs you'd know this. Who won the NCAA tournament in 2015? Who took the silver medal at the 2008 Olympics? Who was the Nobel Peace Prize winner in 2018? Anybody? These are lasting, as top tier, as high as you can go, kind of rewards and statistics. Like I said, some of you guys know some of these things, but none of you guys know all of those things because it it doesn't matter. That's how short our memories are. And so some of us are living for success and notoriety and we're going to try working our entire life to reach some standard and it's not going to matter. By the way, the book of Ecclesiastes is a great one to read through and remember when you're looking through this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's all vanity. It's like smoke. It just burns off in the morning. Watch the smoke of of the the dew steaming off your car in the morning when the sun hits it. And that's what Solomon says life without God is. You build up an empire and you die and somebody else behind you takes over and they run it into the ground. So why are we living for this? Jesus said that we're not to. We're not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, we're to be living to store up treasures in heaven, not for notoriety or for stuff. Instead of living for my passing success, I live life for God's permanent glory. Storing up treasures in heaven is living a life to make God famous. Declaring through my priorities, my attitudes, my action, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's by putting Him in charge. It's by sacrificing my dreams, my desires, my bank account, my house, my car, and recognizing all of those things are on loan from Him. I don't own anything. You know why I can preach? Because God gives me breath. See, when I was a kid, many of you guys know this, I had a speech impediment that when they, I, I did the speech therapist assessment at school, she said we can get Sean to the point where he's conversational, but he'll never sing and he'll never public speak. It is only by the grace of God that I can stand up here and do what I do. And God could take that away in a heartbeat. So if, if I was preaching to make myself famous and make a name for myself, God can very easily take that away. By the way, if you are familiar, if you've been listening to Christian music for a long time, you might be familiar with the name Clay Cross. Go back and Google Clay Cross and read his story. Clay Cross was a, a popular Christian musician. He'd written a lot of albums. He was singing all over the place. And he allowed sin to creep into his life. And he continued ongoing in an unconfessed sin, and God took his voice from him. God can do it in a heartbeat. If I start living for my glory instead of God's glory, if I start living for my success instead of God's glory, then I'm storing up treasures on earth, even if I'm doing good things. That's why I've told you, you know, some people look at pastors or missionaries and say, oh man, you know, you're such a spiritual guy. You do all these spiritual things. Listen, I could stand up here, and if I got up here and said, you know what? I know this is a killer message, and I'm just going to knock it cold. I mean, it's awesome, And so I'm going to preach this so that you guys hear how amazing I am at preaching. Then I'm not honoring God. I'm doing it for my success, my glory. I'm not doing it for his. You can get up tomorrow and go to work and stand on a factory line and say, God, you've given me strength. You've given me the opportunity to take care of my family. And so I'm going to stand on the line of this factory and I'm going to do my job for the very best that I can for your name and your glory. And you'd be honoring God more, putting bolts into trucks at Volvo than I am standing up preaching on a Sunday morning. And I firmly believe that wherever God has planted you, you can glorify Him by living for His glory, not just your success. What's this look like? Well, God didn't give me a family so that we could have the right stick figures on the back window of the minivan, right? God gave me a a family so that God can use me as a dad and my wife as a mom to teach our kids how He wants to impact the world through them. See, my life is an investment into the kingdom of God where anything that God has given me, He's allowing me and enabling me to pour out into the lives of other people for His glory, to make God famous, to declare everyone I see how incredible He is. So Jesus says that where you focus is where your heart is. If you're trying to gain notoriety and wealth and treasures for yourself, then your heart is selfish, corrupt, and you're wasting your time. You're wasting your talents and you're wasting your treasures. It will fade and it will never satisfy. If, however, you're using the resources God's given you, you're using the talents that God's giving you, if you're using the opportunity and the time that God's given you for His glory, whether it's a whole lot or whether it's a little, you're doing it just for His glory and its lasting treasure that you're storing up in heaven. By the way, some of you sit there and you say, well, Shauna, it works out I can't be a materialist because I don't have any money. Ha <laughs> ha! Right? Greed is not just something that affects the rich. If you had the, the resources, you might very well spend them on yourselves, and that may be why God hasn't entrusted you with more, because you haven't been faithful with the little, and God's not going to trust you to be faithful with the much. If God's given you more than you need, then you need to invest that back in the kingdom, however he leads, however he guides, and store up treasure for yourself in heaven, not on earth. So the first question is, am I living for passing success, Or for God's permanent glory. By the way, in case that uh, doesn't pinpoint it specifically enough and put the X on the spot for us, he gives us a couple other questions. The next question we see is, how well can I see? How well can I see? Go back to verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. And this is kind of an interesting picture, and it's a little confusing at first, but we'll, we'll make it make sense. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So the light within you is darkness. How deep is that darkness? Now, how many of you guys wear glasses or contacts? Okay. Wow. That's like everybody. All right. Yeah, it's not everybody because my wife is like the only person in the room who doesn't wear contacts or glasses. Woo-woo. I am blind as a bat if it weren't for the little pieces of plastic that are in my eye right now. Like... I start to lose focus as soon as I can focus, like right there. That's where I start to lose focus. So I can see very little. Like if I looked out here without my contacts in, you guys would just be a bunch of blurs. And some of you would actually, since your clothes are kind of close to the same color as as the pew, you might actually blend in and I may not see you at all. Like that's seriously how bad I am. So I get this. Without my contacts, I can't see anything. Um, I would never, ever, ever attempt to get behind the wheel of a car without my glasses or my contacts on. I can't see. Jesus is saying this is the same thing that's true of us. As we're looking at the things of God, about the truths we find in God's Word, even think about the way that you process the songs that we were singing earlier. You know, many of those things, like there's that one... Line in the first song that may have caught you off guard that talked about the, the trees rejoicing, you know Isaiah talks about the trees of the field will clap their hands that 's a biblical verse that's like that's in there. so when you hear things like this, does any of it make sense? Now listen, I know that you and I are never going to fully understand every depth of every nuance of theology, no matter how hard we study. God is always going to be beyond our apprehension but but the question is. When your eye is diseased, nothing looks right. If it is enough to cause blindness, you won't see anything at all. So as we're thinking about spiritual things, my question for you is, what's your spiritual sight look like? Can you see and understand the things of God? Jesus was pointing out that the Pharisees, the guys who were living for the earthly glory and fame, who don't get that God's law starts with the heart, they had messed up eyes. They couldn't see correctly. This is what Paul fleshed out in 1 Corinthians 2. He says this, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, let's back that down. There's a lot in those verses, so let's kind of back it down for a second. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Spiritual things won't make sense. They can't. You are spiritually blind. There's, you, you can't see it. It doesn't make sense. If you've ever been sharing the gospel with somebody, if you've been talking to them about Jesus, and you've wondered, like, why, why don't you get this? I, I mean, I've explained it to you as many different ways as I can. Why don't you seem to understand? It's because the natural man cannot understand that. That in and of ourselves, because we're spiritually dead in our sins, we're blind and we cannot see. So my question for you is, when you hear people preaching or hear people teaching and and look at the Bible and read through it, can, can you understand what you read? Again, not that you have all your questions answered, but does it make any sense at all? Especially when we get down to the core truths of the fact that Jesus loved you so much that he would die on the cross for you. That he would be buried and raised from the dead to offer you new life. And and now because of his new life, you can come into his kingdom and, and you can follow him and you can honor him and you can start to see and understand. Does that make sense to you at all? If not, then you need to be real careful. If you can't see spiritual things well, then odds are you may be burying treasure, but it's here on earth and it's not in heaven. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? The reason I'm hitting this is because one of my biggest fears as a pastor is somebody who will sit here week after week after week or join us online who hears sermon after sermon after sermon who has never genuinely come to that point of trusting Jesus and they thought they were okay. Because they were too scared to ask. It never made sense, but they thought that they'd be okay. How well can you see? If you can't understand the things of God, then you need to to take a look at that. You need to ask God to help you to see, to make you alive, to give you spiritual eyes to understand. And I'm not talking about some mystical knowledge that can see the future or can see demons and angels fighting at talking about the ability to look at God's word and open it and understand what he's saying. See yourself in it. See see where you've fallen short. See how you've sinned and and see how much God loves you and how just and holy he is and and how big the gap is between the two and, and, and you grow in that knowledge. If that's not happening, then you're storing up treasure on earth and it's worthless. So am I living for passing success or permanent glory? How well can I see? There's a third question that he asks here. Who am I serving? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters since he'll either hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I know that, by the way, in our current cultural context that talking about slavery is a difficult thing for us to do because it brings up a lot of issues, a lot of emotion in in certain individuals, and so I, I want to be sensitive to that. But the imagery here that Jesus uses is that of a slave and his master. And the picture here is you are serving something. No matter who you are, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you are serving something. There's something that's that number one spot in your life. It's either God and his glory or it's anything else. And the Bible says that if you're doing that, that's, you're serving sin. You're a slave to it. It's your master. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. How many of you guys have have had that experience, especially recently with all the craziness of everything, have had that experience where you're double booked for something, right? You have the Zoom call at this time, but you also have this appointment that you totally forgot about and you had no idea that it was going on. Or how many of you remember in school that time when you'd have a professor who'd assign this 15-page paper the same night that you had another professor who had an after-class tutoring session that you were supposed to be at, the same night that you got called into work for four hours? Do you guys remember those days? You couldn't get it all done. So you you hated one of the masters and you served one of the others, right? You couldn't be both places at one time. You had to make a choice. Well, that's just a, a taste of what Jesus is talking about here. You've got an option. You're either serving the God of heaven or you're serving yourself in sin. You cannot serve both God and money. The reason he uses money is because that's probably the clearest demonstration outwardly, of what we're chasing after. If we're chasing after money and stuff, that's a clear outward demonstration of what's going on in our hearts. You can't serve God and money. This does not mean that God's called every Christian to be poor, but it does mean that God's called every Christian to use every penny that he or she has for the glory and good of God's kingdom. If you're chasing after money, you're chasing after the status that comes with it, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you cannot do that at the same time you're chasing after Christ. Here's what's interesting, though. When we talk about this, there's actually incredible freedom in this. It's hard to to imagine that we would say that it would be freeing to be somebody's slave. But the reality is, like I said, you're a slave to somebody. Many of us, it's a slave to trying to make ourselves. Guys, let me talk specifically to you for, because we struggle with this more often, I think, than a lot of our ladies do. We're tempted to wrap up our entire identity in what we do. In our jobs, our bank accounts, our stuff, our contribution to society. We often get to the point where we think, if I could just reach this level, if I could just do this, I would be happy. And now, in today's social media-driven world, that means you know keeping up a good face on Instagram and on Facebook, and keeping up a presence here, making sure I'm keeping up with this, and making sure that these people like me, and making sure that I've I've taken care of all this. And it gets exhausting to try to make a name for yourself. Here's what's awesome: if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you don't have to do any of that, because you're not making a name for yourself; you're making God famous. So all you got to do is do whatever He tells you to do. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's a whole lot more simple. Because it's not about how important everybody thinks I am. And if by preaching this message somebody says, You know what, Sean? I hate you for that. Well, you know what? I'm sorry, but that's what God says. So then my reputation is no longer up to me. Think about the prophet Jeremiah. Go back and read through the book of Jeremiah and read all that he had to deal with. Here was a guy who God specifically told your entire ministry, no one's going to listen to you and everyone's going to hate you. Good luck. You're going to go in there and you're going to tell everybody that God's going to destroy Jerusalem. You're going to get thrown into a cistern, like into a well basically, and left there long enough that when they go to pull you out, they're going to have to put, put uh, claws on the ropes so it doesn't rip the skin out that's gotten all gross and wet and soggy. Welcome to serving God. Jeremiah could not have been concerned about his reputation and done what God called him to do. In fact, actually, you find a couple of times where he says, I'm done. You read through the book of Jeremiah, and he says, I'm not going to do this anymore. I determined I was not going to speak what God said, but God's call was so heavy on his heart, he said it was like a fire burning inside me. I just couldn't stop. That's what we're looking at here. I'm not serving me. When I say I, I'm talking about y'all. I wrestle with this guys. If I'm following Jesus as I should, if if I'm letting him be my leader, my boss, my Lord, my guide, then my job is to do whatever he tells me to do. To live to make him famous, not to make me famous. Whatever that costs, whatever that looks like, it will be worth it. How do you know, Sean? I'd encourage you to take some time, spend some time this week in 1 first, first Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 starts it off where he says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So right now, the service that God's calling us to offer him in the midst of a world that is dark and confused and hurting and is so used to saying, you know what, I'm not going to do anything for anybody else. I'm just going to make sure I'm taken care of and I'm squared away. Y'all just deal with it. In that kind of environment and world, God's calling us to serve and represent Him for a, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, won't rust, doesn't need to be waxed, isn't going to need to fall apart, isn't going to get stolen, that's waiting in heaven for us. Man, that's hard because we get mad that Amazon's taken a week to get stuff to us. The truth. So it's hard for us to think about the fact that God may call me to do something now that I get made fun of, that costs me money, that costs me time, that I may have to do something now that I may not see for another 40, 50, 60 years. We're not good at delayed gratification. And for that, see, fasting that we talked about last week, right? But this is the life that God's called us to live. Not for immediate success, because that just dissipates. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Everybody moves on. Like, you realize that you're going to be forgotten in history. You will. I, I doubt that when the history books are written, 100 years from now, the name Sean Couch will appear on any page anywhere. But when all of history is complete, do you know what name is going to be written everywhere through all of it? The name of Jesus Christ, who has given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I have an option. I can either try to leave a legacy where my name will be remembered, which it won't be. It's like the odds of me playing in the NFL. Or I can live for the glory of God for the name that will be exalted above every other name for all of eternity. So ask the questions and follow them to the X in your own heart. Are you living for? passing success or for permanent glory how well can you see and who are you ultimately serving with what you do my prayer and my hope is that as you evaluate and you look at the exit marks the spot it'll point straight to the heart of Christ why cuz this is exactly what he did for us guys You know, Jesus had every ability to have brought his kingdom to bear the first time he came. He was fully God, had every opportunity. He could have stopped the crucifixion at any moment in time. But because he loved us so much, and because of the love that he has for the Father, he was willing to serve the Father's will and not his own to go to the cross and instead of giving up the, the success he could have had in that moment, when, remember when Satan tempted him and put him up and let him see all the kings in the world and say, I'll give you it all? Jesus refused to take anything that the world would offer and instead he sacrificed it all by dying naked and bloody and ridic- ridiculed and ashamed. He died that way for us. That's model that's been given. That's how we're to live.